WV Uncommon Place. This podcast is a variety podcast that houses numerous series to cover mental health, empowerment, podcast framework, and various intimate series to get to know the hosts. Along with occasional movies, reviews, and dives in pop culture with our event podcast episodes. The Uncommon Place digs into bringing guests on that stories don't fit the mold and are very different. WV stands for the great state of West Virginia and every quarter we cover something in West Virginia. Stacy and myself JR are your hosts so please come along for this venture to our Uncommon Place. Welcome to West Virginia Uncommon Place. My name is JR. Today I have with me a special guest. Her name is Renee Jones. And our most nostalgic question that we ask is a simple question. And I will ask this to Renee after she introduces herself. My name is Renee Jones, and I am a counselor, coach, and speaker, helping women overcome emotional eating. Okay, emotional eating, and I like that. Now, tell us a little bit about your journey, because that's that's what gets personable. We, we always want to hear about your journey. What led you to this? Well, I spent 40 years on the diet yo-yo, just trying every diet going, succeeding and then failing because I could not keep the weight off. And when I finally found the whole concept of emotional eating, I thought, oh, yeah, that's me. That's me. That's what I'm doing. And once I overcame that, then I could lose the weight I, I hit my goal weight uh, over 10 years ago now, and I've been right in the same spot for 10 years. Okay, that's amazing. Now, a little bit about me. I wrestled in high school and college, so I kept my, I've always kept my weight at one weight, like, uh, between 190 and 215, and I'm 37. I've been doing that since I was 15. I was 200 pounds at 15, so I just stayed between 190 and that. So, so I liked it. Now, one thing I want to dig a little deeper now – with you watching your weight and stuff like this, there weren't outside influences like people or anybody uh, discouraging you about your weight. And when I said discourage, I mean it like this, like someone saying, hey, you need to lose weight because you're a little heavy. Because when I was husky, um, when I, I got up to 260 one time, you know, my mom was like, hey, JR, you got to worry about blood pressure. You got to worry about diabetes. Diabetes is the worst thing that you can worry about in the middle ages because your toes might go numb in the bed and you may not know why. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, there was just this family thing that they were all fairly heavy and I was already redheaded. And when I looked around at my little friends, they were all blonde and brunette. And I thought, I don't want to be that different. And they were all skinny. And I thought, I just want to blend in a little more. So that's where it started in pride and tried and tried again. But she'd been dieting all of her life. Her mother had been dieting all her life and they just weren't very good at it. So we never learned exactly how to transition to maintenance so we could stay in the same place. It was like when you got to your goal weight, you just said, hey, now I can have anything I want. (laughs) And you just gain the weight back. So Maybe uh, influence when I got to like high school and college when I just wanted to be thin because, you know, boys are more attracted to thin. So there was that kind of outside influence, but it was never, hey, you've got to lose weight. I was I, I was fortunate not to have that. 
and, and, I, and I'm glad that the audience gets to hear that part because that's one thing that people would automatically throw in as a misconception that someone told you that you were this and that and no one did. You just self-improvement for yourself and for a healthier life than a lengthier life. Uh, yeah. Also, now, you know, you go through life and you get to a point where you've attained your weight. You hold it. Um, and, and just like I said about the wrestling, I can correlate this. Uh, I always had to maintain it. So I watch what I eat. And even to the day, I eat certain things I don't eat, certain things I stay away from. So at what point when you got, you stayed at the same way over length of time, what year did you decide that, hey, I'm going to get into coaching. I'm going to get in here and help people do the right thing with their lives? Well, I was already a counselor. So I just sort okay. of transitioned. Once I, I got to my goal weight, I thought, okay, now I have some credibility with this. And I began, people began to come to me as, as a counselor. And I thought, okay, this is something that they need and I can help them with. So I just sort of made the transition onto to weight loss coach at that point in time. So it was almost immediately within a year. Whoa. I thought, okay, now I have to figure out what I did and why and how. And um, I wrote a book on it to help people who you know couldn't afford my services. I, I created courses. I did a TEDx talk on it, just trying to get the information out so that other people could kind of get the idea of how to make this work. Okay. And, and since you led with that, let's go into this. Let, let's talk about this book. What's really eating you? Overcoming the triggers of comfort eating. Mm -hmm. could, could you go into some detail about what inspired you to write it? Well, I, you know, I think some of us are just born writers and I had written for some magazines along the way. And I just thought, you know what, if I could get this down to something that is like a, almost like a workbook. So I went through and gave them the information and every chapter has some questions at the end for your consideration so that you could, if you followed the, the information in the text and then did the questions, you could probably take yourself a, a long way toward um, overcoming emotional eating for yourself. Okay. Okay. Now, was it anything hard in writing this book? Because some people have writer's block. Some people have something that stops them from writing. Because I'll give a great example, and I always like to tie myself into authors. I wrote a book once. I published it, and I put it out. And I did it after the events of what happened. So for me, it was just one of those things where format, format, format. So I didn't have no writer's block or anything like that because I needed to. It was emotional healing. So for you... Like, how did you, like, did you get stumbles in some parts or how did you handle the writing process? Well, I think um, because I'd had writing experience, that part wasn't daunting to me. So what I did was I got myself like 12 file folders and just started putting ideas into the file folders according to topics. And those topics became the chapter titles. So okay. I just, and then I went through and thought, okay, how do I organize this chapter? And I tried to keep the chapters fairly short because I don't like reading long chapters. <laughs> so I just I just started working by it chapter by chapter. And uh, then my editor said, OK, Renee, you've got two chapters here. One is diet and the other is exercise. I said, yeah. She said, I need more. I was like, but I think I've said everything that needs to be said. And she said, but 
tell me what's in your diet chapter. I said, pick one. And your exercise chapter, do some. She said, they're going to need more than that. Because so, literally, that's all I had on those pages was pick a diet and do some exercise. Because I'm not, I'm not a nutritionist. I'm not a um, personal trainer. So she said, go back into what helped you stay on the diet, what helped you continue. This is funny, but it's not going to work for a book. It's like, okay, fine. (laughs) (laughs) So then you put some more chapters in there and then you come out with this book. So I'm going to pull us back to the the original topic that we got to deal with. Emotional eating. Yes. Uh, How it's created and how do you manage it in a sense of like, how do you stop it? Um, I'll tell you something, and this is my Husky days, 200, 200 pounds to 260. I ate chocolate-covered raisins, mm-hmm. and I ate them habitually. Like, I could go get in the car, just have some. But I ate them around every activity, literally. I'd leave class, go to my dorm, I'd eat them there, I'd eat them leaving. So I didn't realize that whatever, and I didn't have anxiety or anything, but whatever pressures I had in life, the chocolate raisins took care of it. Now, what was weird at the age of 21, I have not had a chocolate raisin since then. At the age of 21, I just stopped eating them. That's fascinating. Yeah, and I don't know why, but I want to know about emotional eating because I know that I was emotional eating then, and I'll never know Mm -hmm. what triggered me to stop. But Mm -hmm. I'd like you to, to let the world know about emotional eating and how to manage it and how it's created. And I want to dig into that raisin thing in a minute. But emotional eating is something we come by naturally. Because think about it. When a baby cries, we put something in their mouth from birth. It's either the bottle or the breast or a pacifier. And as we get older, we change out the pacifier for candy or adults for pizza or a donut, because there is something very soothing about putting something in your mouth. And that's okay, except when we continually go back to it, because that's when we tend to overeat and it doesn't do us a whole lot of good. So managing it, it, it's not that hard to overcome emotional eating, but you do have to get the hang of it. And hang is an acronym. The H-A-N-G. So the the H, am I actually hungry? And if you are, you may well need something to eat. But if you're not, then you go to the A. What is my current attraction to food? The N, what is it that I actually need? You may need a hug. You may need a walk around the block. You may need to play with the dog. You just may need some distraction. So find out what it is you actually need from that. And then the G is go, go get that because that will soothe you more than food ever could possibly do. Now, certain foods um, connect with us. So for example, I, I tell a story in my TEDx talk about my near addiction to peanut butter. And for you, apparently it was chocolate covered raisins. So where did that start? What is the earliest recollection you have of having those chocolate covered raisins? It's crazy. I have a very good memory. It was 1989. um, We went to go see Batman and then we went to go see Dick Tracy. Wow. You know, warm baby and stuff. 
And when we went to go see the movie, my mom, dad, me, my sister, they got us like because we, we were doing the whole like double movie thing, and we ate popcorn the first time, and I was like, I want something sweet. And my dad gave me chocolate covered raisins. Uh-huh. And they were, I think they were like raisinette or something. Like I forgot the name of the brand, but you know what box I'm talking about. Yeah, 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 yeah. And even at that age, I was probably at least five or six then, maybe five. I ate the whole box because they were small morsels, and it was yeah. just. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you were five or six at the time. Mm-hmm. Did you have a really good time that day? Yes. Did you feel very close as a family? Yes. Do you see why it might be attractive to you? Yes. When you when you weren't feeling so comfortable or maybe so settled, the raisinets brought back that feeling that you were having. And when you turn 21, it's entirely possible that somewhere in your subconscious, you said, I am a man now. I can do without raisinets. Could be. And I think that another thing is my dad died in 1994. Ah. So, so, so later on, anytime I went to the movies, I always ate them. And I didn't relate it to him, but I'm related to him now because you made me realize that I yeah. probably ate them out of mourning. Yeah. And to feel connected to him. See, because that's that's the thing for me, the peanut butter, when I was circling the refrigerator and I was upset and kept going back for another spoonful or another spoonful. It wasn't the food. It was the quantity. Right. It was a, a connection I had to my grandmother. And when I needed to feel um, loved and affirmed, I would go back to peanut butter because that's what she always did. You see how that works is we get yeah. these unconsciously we get these connections in our minds and we go back to that when we need that feeling again. Yeah, that's amazing. And then I'm thinking later on, I replaced them with snow caps and then snow caps uh-huh. for a few years. I don't know why, I guess because I'm a movie buff, everything relates to movie candy, but I went from that to the cookie dough and the cookie dough. I don't have a candy right now because for some reason I'm on a fruit kick. So everything I want peaches, all kinds of peaches. So so the, you have a connection with that movie experience you had with the candy or something similar to it, but it's still putting something in your mouth to connect you with the time that you felt so good. Yeah, that's crazy. It's not. It's just the way we do things. We connect. If you think about um, places you like to go. You probably had really good experiences there or places you don't want to go. And you don't eat that same food again. True. And I, and I can say this, though, like I told you briefly in our pre-call, I travel to a lot of places. So mom and pop restaurants that I find along the way that I like, I do go to, I go out of my way, even if I'm like 50 miles away, I'll go out of my way and go to one. But uh, yeah, yeah that's... <laughs> But here's here's the thing, Jr. Once we make those those connections, we figure it out. Then we can back up and say, "Okay, do I really want this food, or do I want that feeling? And is there a better way for me to get that feeling that doesn't involve a lot of extra calories?" I mean, it's it's a fine thing to do, but once you know what it is and why you're doing it, then you have control of it again. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. And, and maybe somehow subconsciously I managed mine somehow. I just 
Because, like I said, as I've gotten older, and this is crazy, like my sweet tooth is kind of gone. I don't necessarily, I don't eat cake at all. I, I despise cake. Really? Cake, yeah, I do not like cake. I very rarely eat ice cream. If it's something sweet, it's got to be like a, I mean, it's a little offbeat. I eat like hermit cake, uh, banana, banana bread, different things like that. Mm. I'll eat, you know, just something or new. You know what my favorite is? And I hate to do this. And people, audience, I hope you, you enjoy this too. I love zucchini bread with cream cheese. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's good. That's good yeah. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> And um, so so let me ask you this, you know, a person that lives alone, because I don't live alone, and, you know, people that live alone, how do they stop from emotional eating? Because I'll give you a a scenario. Um, The community has been closeted because of COVID-19. So people sit at home and... Mm -hmm. Watching TV has become practical again. It was a time when people would stay on their phone for a little bit, but people actually sit down and they watch TV and stuff, and um, they just go on and on. And I'm just kind of like, how do you do that and continuously just and just eat emotionally? Like, why do you? Why do people continuously do that? And and that's my question to you. Like, how does someone that's single or living alone? How do they take care of themselves from that kind of emotional eating? Well, I think recognizing that that's what you're doing is really important. And once you recognize it, then you can manage it differently. You know, a lot of people like to watch television and eat something. And what I tell them is if if you are going to mindlessly eat something, then you may as well be eating celery because you'll enjoy it just as much, right? So if you have to mindlessly eat, make good choices about what that is, because it's going to be a lot of calories, um, unless you choose something like celery, which makes it a lot easier. But for those who are single and living alone, you have to find a way to make connections in different ways. I mean, Zoom helped a lot, FaceTime, phone calls, uh, arranging times to be out and about with others. I mean, obviously in COVID, that was a whole different situation, but we're we're kind of further along now. We have more um, protection against that than we did. If you are stuck at home, get on Zoom with a friend, get on FaceTime with a friend or Google Meets or whatever it is. Make sure you get your your um, social needs met when you have that opportunity, because that's what they're looking for is something social, some connection. And of course, introverts like me loved the whole lockdown thing. It's like, oh, I don't have to go anywhere. But I have friends who just about went crazy because they're they're extroverts and they need energy from other people. Now, you don't have to get that energy in person it helps but just having the conversation helps as well okay because i know like through the pandemic like i got locked down in ohio which is just a state across from me and I, it was just me and my girlfriend or and my co-host stacy um and we just like we really enjoyed it because it was solitude blah 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 and we read books and did play board games and stuff like that but 
I don't know what I would have done on my own. I probably, I mean, obviously I will watch every movie, every Criterion film ever made. But that, was, that would have been a hard stretch. Sure. Um, yeah. So what do you do like if you get an overwhelming craving? So I'll give you an example. When I do get a sweet tooth, mm-hmm. um, I'm so technical that I, ne- I remember Miss Fields cookies. I remember certain gender snap cookies that you can get. But the Chewy Chips Ahoy cookie. Mm. And it, yeah. that's something, and, I, and I'm a bully because when I have these, I will offer them to you. And I get this overwhelming sensation that I got to have them, but I got to share them at the same time. If I eat them, I don't eat them alone. I'll get the family pack and we'll have everybody over, play something <laughs> just to eat that pack of cookies. How do I stop myself from getting that overwhelming feeling that I need to have those cookies sometimes? And just like, because sometimes I overindulge, I'll get two packs. If there's eight people, two packs, we'll eat them all. so there are two ways to go on that question um one is you just don't buy them if they are something if they're like kryptonite to you buying them is dangerous i was talking to a client last week and her daughter does like um girl scouts and they're about to have their cookie fest thing right Oh, yes, it's coming. Girl Scout cookies are coming. And she said, I just can't have them in the house. I said, well, then don't find a different way to do it. And she said, I never thought of that. But but making sure that you're not plagued by that, that it's not in your environment. I had to do that with some nuts this morning because I do. um, I have kryptonite for me is salted roasted nuts. In fact, my husband's mother sent home with him one of those, you know, large things of salted roasted nuts. She was like, no, 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 no. Take that upstairs. Take it to your office. I don't care. Just get it out of my sight. Well, when he came home and was going on a business trip, he put them back in the pantry. (laughs) So I stopped and put them in his sock drawer. (laughs) because I thought I'm never going to his sock drawer. I won't see them. It'll be okay. So there's one thing is just make sure it's not around you. Um, I'm trying to remember the first half of that question. Well, mainly what it was, was I was just trying to to like, sometimes I get overwhelming sensations to eat something. And and, and I like, like, for instance, like it's a meat that I like, and I only get it when I'm in the Northeast. I mean, it's everywhere else, but it's pastrami. I can get a pastrami sandwich from anywhere when I'm in New York or somewhere, and I will eat pastrami. I'll go to the Wigman's or whatever the grocery stores. I will get fresh sliced pastrami, but I get back to West Virginia, I won't touch it with a 10-foot pole. Mm. So when you have something that you just cannot say no to, right, it happens. Once in a while, it's just like, I've got to have this, and there's no way out of it. What I say is great. You get to have it, but with a caveat. Put it on a mat, maybe, you know, nice glass candles, the whole thing. Make it a moment and sit and chew every single bite of it. Because if you're just swallowing it whole, you're not really enjoying it. So sit down and squeeze every bit of flavor out of every bite that you get, because with that, you're giving yourself permission to enjoy it. 
you're giving yourself permission. So there's no guilt involved. You're making a choice as an adult to enjoy something and then make sure it's not in your house anymore. (laughs) Okay, I can do that. That'll make me stronger. So let's dive over into the coaching aspect. Um, People, we do this thing called a shameless plug. So could you plug your website real fast? Sure. It's packyourownbag.com. Okay, so when you head over to packyourbag.com. Pack your own bag. Um, you can you can do an introductory call with you and you can get started with your services, correct? Yes, absolutely. So when someone calls you and this is the thing, you know, they they open their heart up to you because eating is a very personal thing. It is. And even though even though some people do it in front of people, I know people in my 37 years on this earth that eat in the car so no one knows that they're eating. Yes. Yeah, it can be a very shameful thing. And I mean, and I, know people, and I know people that get food out of the refrigerator, even in my household, and they go eat it and they only eat at nighttime when I'm asleep. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so a, a client comes to you, um, they they need, they want your services, and your services are offered uh, virtually, correct? Yes. Okay, so you you walk them through certain stages, and I know that there are certain algorithms and things that are set in place that you have that can that you can automatically hone in on what's going on, just like you did with me, because you only took a few seconds, and we've already cured my raisin problems. I'll never go back to chocolate covered raisins, at least in this lifetime. And and I think I'm going to be a better control of things because later on I was going to go and get a. A brisket because I'm out on this area that I'm in, and I decided I'm not going to get that. I'm going to get something fairly easy on my body, so I don't have to fill it the next day. So I do want to thank you for that. So someone comes to you for your services, they uh, go through the initial consultation, and after that, they see a difference in themselves, so they come back. And when someone comes back, that that means that if they get a result varied, it doesn't matter if it's because in this situation. It's kind of wild because I, I want to ask you, do you consider results good or bad or do you can just consider them a neutral thing? Because with that, I kind of consider it a neutral thing because you're helping somebody, you know, develop a habit that works out good and that they don't have to follow the worst word on earth, a diet. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and and how do you curb people from that word diet? Like, like I've already wanted to do a session with you and I start talking to you about a diet. I'm like, I want to get on the the meat diet, nothing but meats or something like that. Uh, or I just want to eat meats for four days a week and then three days a week. I just want to eat whatever I want. How do you get someone to realize that a diet may or may not be the best thing for them or it's not a good idea at all? I like your take on that. Well, um, one of the first things that I do with clients is I give them a metabolic assessment. CJR, I lost my weight on one diet and it was fine. It worked, but it left me tired, hungry, and cranky all the time. So when I was trying to maintain, that wasn't helpful. So I stumbled across uh, this metabolic assessment software stuff and I thought, okay, we'll try that. And it gave me a result that I was not expecting at all. And I thought, okay, I don't know about this. I've been trying to avoid this food for a long time, but I'm at my goal weight. One week's not going to hurt me because they gave us a, a 
it gives you a, a, a menu for a week. JR, I was 52 years old at my goal weight and I lost two pounds that week. And I thought, okay, I don't understand this, but it works. And, and this is the thing. When you find what actually works for your body, it doesn't have to be a diet. It's just nutrition. So I, I give them this assessment, tell them what will probably work best for their bodies, and then they get to go on and do that. The thing is, because it's emotional eating, the nutrition is not, is not the thing. It's not what makes the difference. What makes the difference is finding what's going on for you and unwinding that or possibly healing that so that you can follow whatever you want to do, right? I mean, my mantra when I was, was losing my weight was face your stuff, don't stuff your face, right? <laughs> and because I was also working with someone to overcome my emotional stuff, it made, made it possible that I could stay focused and not get distracted by some goofy thing in the past that had driven me to food before. We've got to find what's driving your heart toward food and take away the keys. Okay, that makes the most sense. And I thank you for that. I think that's the gentleman's of the episode um, thus far because that's just what you need to do. Mm. Now, after this, is people start this and they get this metabolical um, assessment from you, and then they come back a month later because mm-hmm. they're going to keep continuously talking to you, but they come back a month later mm-hmm. and they've lost 15 pounds. That's a lot in a month. That's a lot in a month. Uh, but go to the doctor, cardiovascular wise are good, heart's pumping, doing the right thing. Well, one day they slip up and they find that chocolate syrup and they see that milk. And they don't drink a whole gallon because if anybody drinks a whole gallon of milk, I'm four hour tea if you can do it. <laughs> if you can, then don't do it. Um, mm. they, they, they slip and drink that whole thing of milk. Mm-hmm. Doesn't put much weight on, but it's just a comfort. Um, they come back to talk to you. They figure out what it was. They were, they had got on a good stretch, but one instance of not being able to alleviate the stress the way that you taught them, put them out this way. Mm-hmm. And they come back a little discouraged. They're like, hey, uh, Renee, I'm following up. I'm, I'm back on track. I didn't call you yesterday because I didn't want to be shamed. And, and you know, obviously, you sound like you're a very good person. So you're not going to take the shame from me. You're going to tell don't, don't be shamed in anything you do. Um, what's the next thing you're going to, what's the next line you're going to say after that? Be kind to yourself. You don't deserve that nonsense. Because here's the thing, shame doesn't help us at all. Shame never works in a positive way, right? I mean, okay, you can feel a little guilty, but guilt is recognizing you need to make a change. Get back on that horse and ride, you know? Okay, you fell off. I fell off horses when I was growing up a lot. I had lots of bruises, but you got back on the horse to ride, Because you wanted the result. You wanted to feel the wind in your hair, as it were, as you went galloping across a pasture. So if you're going to get the results you want, you have to then start again. It's okay. You messed up. You weren't being who you wanted to be. Welcome back. Now you can. Okay. Okay. Uh, And I like that a lot. 
so they're with you for a year and a half. Things go good. And then next thing you know, they see you on a TED Talk. TED Talk, well, we'll give you an example. Uh, I do this little role playing in the episodes. Uh, we'll go east to west this time because I'm closer on the east this time. So, you know, you go to Carnegie Hall, you give a TED Talk there. And your clients have decided to travel out to Carnegie Hall to see you and all this other stuff. And, you know, you're building a strong following. Um, you leave there, you go to a book signing for your book somewhere over near wherever the Pittsburgh Pirates play. You do all this in one day, and then uh, then someone walks up to you and says this, and you know you you weren't their their coach, but they read your book and they said if it wasn't for you, you know, I wouldn't be here today. Uh, Where does that touch your heart? Um. Wow. That yeah. That's that would be huge. Um. Because it. It means that, A, they've found a resource that gave them the courage and the determination to keep going. And that's that's wonderful. And for me, it's like, oh, good, something I did helped. Okay. Now, from that point on, you head on down to Washington, D.C., um, you made your rounds around there, and you met some good people. And then somehow you end up in Baltimore, John Hopkins University. Wow. That's where everybody wants to go. You know, if you're in your line of work, you want to go to John Hopkins. Um, your metabolic assessment makes its way to John Hopkins. They run a case study on it. They find very great results from this. What do you do with that information once it gets to you? Yay. I'm glad it has, it's verifiable information that can help people figure out what works for them. I I just, you know, I, I am grateful for having stumbled across it. So let's share it with the world. Okay. Okay. And I like that. Now, uh, there's a part of the show that I pay homage to 2020. It's a news magazine that I grew up with. Uh, Yeah. John Stossel did a little bit of comedy. Diane Sawyer, to me, she was probably the better interviewer of all. But as one lady, and um, since the last time I recorded, she's actually passed away. Barbara, uh, Barbara Walters. Barbara Walters yeah. could take any person or anything and she could make them magical. So with the 2020 questions, I'd like to get a little deeper into who you are. Okay. Now, the, the thing about helping people, coaching people and doing stuff your cup is half empty, your cup's half full. Um, and you don't emotionally eat. So, you know, you exercise, obviously, to maintain yourself. So what do you do for self-care? And the reason that I ask this is because in our day and age with COVID-19, and I always like to relate this in, we've branched off into two places, self-care and then self-maintenance. I first brought to the idea of self-maintenance, because self-care sounds a little selfish. Self-maintenance is something that I'm going to continuously do, but it's something I was doing beforehand. I'm just acknowledging that I'm doing it every day. So self-care, self-maintenance, how do you take care of yourself? Well, I walk my dog every morning. Um, It's good for her because, you know, she's a big dog. She needs exercise. 
And it's also good for me because not only do I get exercise physically, I listen to good podcasts or books or other personal development material, development material while I'm walking, because I find the motion helps me absorb it a little better. Sitting down and just studying was always hard for me all through school and grad school. But if I if I can listen to it while I'm walking, I get much more out of it. And then I can make notes because, you know, I have my phone. I can make notes if if there's something I need to go back to and, and address later. Or I talk to my accountability partner and say, hey, we got to look at this. So that's one of my my primary forms of self-maintenance. Okay. Now, you... You, you go on and, and we always talk about the positives because negative energy doesn't mean anything, but negative energy, two types of negative energy do make a positive charge. Is that correct? Sure. Yes, I'm sure it does. <laughs> yeah. Some, some of that is agree. I think I thought it was a positive and negative, but some people too negative. Sometimes you, you can turn to a positive with people. Mm-hmm. We won't say a charge. So you have a client mm-hmm. and you've done what you can to help them. And that client goes up and down, you know, and that client is in a down period. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those run the mill things where they went from 200 pounds to 275 mm-hmm. over nine months. Yeah. Okay. That's realistic. That's realistic. That could happen. Yeah. How do you help that person? Well, I think first we have to recognize that they're, not certain that this is what they want to do. So I asked them, okay, I know this is a, this was a wonderful idea. Is it what you want to do? And if you truly want to do it, then we can make some adjustments to what we're doing. But clearly what we're doing right now isn't working. And very often it's, they want the result, but they either can't or aren't willing to do the work. Because it's always going to be work. Weight loss is not just automatic unless you are a 16-year-old boy who's very active, right? But, you know, we look at what's stopping you, what's getting in the way, what is driving the behavior bus right now, and see what adjustments we can make because clearly it's not working for them. And sometimes they just decide, you know what? This is too hard. I don't want to do it. Okay. That's your choice. You're an adult. You can, you can make that choice if you want to. But if they do want to continue and they're just like, Renee, I just can't figure out what's going on. Then we do some intensive work over a few weeks to help them discover what the problem is for them in that moment and then implement it. Just go back to the beginning of the, of the program. Find the things that are stumbling blocks and deal with them. Face the stuff so you don't have to stuff your face. Okay. Now, my last question is this. So after you deal with everything that you deal with in a day, it's time to unwind. You, your husband, your animals. Um, and you decide just, y'all going to be simple, just glasses of water and whatever you want to eat. Y'all finish eating. Sun's about to go down. What do you say to your husband about your day? Like, what, what is that like? What is that interaction like? And the reason I ask this is because a lot of people that work in your type of work, they're givers. 
and they never take back any time. So some people don't even have that scenario. I just said in, in coaches because they're so so involved with their clients. And I mean, I know you know how to step away from it, but sometimes, you know, you're in the heat of things and you don't get that time. But when you do have that time, what is that like after dinner and y'all are just together? Well, if it's been a particularly um, intense day, very often what I say is just sit on the sofa and hold me for a while, would you? And he does. I mean, we can we can sit there. We can watch TV. We don't have to. We can just talk about good things. But just getting some feeding back in helps me. If it if it's just a day where I'm tired, then I may want to watch a film because story feeds me. And I'm not talking about, you know, dystopian or murder or anything like that. Just a good story will feed my heart in ways that other things don't. If it was a great day and everything was clicking, then we just talk about the weather or whatever is going on for him. You know, but you're right. Helpers do need to refeed at the end of the day, just like our bodies need nourishment. Our hearts need nourishment and sometimes they need some extra care. So whatever it is that works for my own heart's care He's a good guy. Mr. Jones is lovely. He'll take care of me. <laughs> and I appreciate that. And the reason that I always ask that is because no one ever asks the person that's helping them. They ask mm-hmm. how you are, but they don't ask how you're living. They always mm-hmm. ask, and, and it's two different things. And it, and it goes just to, to life in general that we lost that kind of common courtesy, not because of COVID, just because of life. So I wanted to get that out there. Now, Renee, before we jump off here, I need you to tell everybody where they can meet and greet you on the internet and what is the most positive way they can be effective communicators with you. Well, they can go to uh, packyourownbag.com and send me an email. I'm on Facebook at Pack Your Own Bag as well as Instagram and um, YouTube. Okay. So, you know, just let me know if you'd like to have a a talk will get you in. Now, let me ask you this real quick, because I noticed the social media, as you said, but I noticed one was missing. How does a business professional, can they meet reach you on LinkedIn? Yes, I'm on LinkedIn as well. Okay, just want to make sure that, because that's the one party that for some reason, everybody's on Facebook, so that's our, that's our Walmart. But LinkedIn's yeah. like, like Target or whatever specialty stores in your area, you know, or Menards or whatever. So I always ask that because LinkedIn is where, like, I don't know, since things have changed with our show, LinkedIn is where most of my listeners are. So I always have to include oh. them, yeah. Well, I'm under Renee Jones on LinkedIn, so that would be the place to find me. And audience, definitely inside this episode, you will be able to find out all the information, where to reach Renee through the show notes, because that's the great thing about a podcast. It's the reading that you do afterwards, outside of what you hear. Um, So real quick, Renee, I want to tell you this. Uh, It is a tremendous honor having you on the show. And here's your testimony. Uh, Fortitude. That's the thing right here that you live with. That's your shining armor. That's your cape. Um, you have to be very strong. You have to be stoic to a degree with people. You have to hide some of your emotions to take care of other people. And that's very hard because I'm not stoic. I'm going to let you know everything on the, from the back burner to the front burner. Um, so being stoic and doing your job, that's an amazing thing that you do. I want to tell you thank you for that because not a lot of people are going to tell you thank you about that. Not a lot of people are going to even acknowledge it. So thank you there. 
taking the time to help people with their help. That is a main thing that that, that drawed me and, and, and made me excited because here, here's the thing and, and take this for what it is. People rush through life now. Life is not like it was in the nineties or even the early two thousands. People rush through life. So people always want a quick fix. They want to figure out what to do without putting plaster on the wall. They don't want to put up new drywall. They want to fix it. However they can very quick. And you're here to help people do this in a methodical way to help themselves. So thank you there. Keep doing what you're doing. Writing a book. Writing a book is an expression of who you were then, who you are today. It's basically the past, present, and future. Thank you for that, too, for the simple fact that that's a snapshot into who you are and why you do what you do. So definitely we'll put extra links up for that, um, for your book, and definitely for your services. Because the thing here is that you didn't have to write that book. You could have just said, hey, thanks to me for the services. You don't need to know all this information. But you know that some people, because of certain financial constraints, you're here to help them regardless. And that's hard because everybody wants to put a paywall behind stuff and be gatekeepers to knowledge. And you're not being a gatekeeper. You're saying, hey, you can go here for this if you can't afford this, but you still can have this and you can still communicate with me. That right there is the difference in what people are producing and giving out to the world now. People don't have that same, uh, what's the word I'm going to use? I don't even have an adjective for it. I'll just put it like this. People don't have that common, I'm going to use common courtesy. They don't have that common courtesy in business to know that there's other ways to reach people than always a a hard direct sell. You can reach them indirectly through the book and they will come to you. If the book helps, even if the book doesn't help, it's word of mouth, they're going to spread it. You know this marketing genius and you don't show it. You just let it play its course. And that's an amazing thing about you because so many people will put pressure on things and do this, this, and that. But organic is the best way to be. So I want to tell you thank you. And that's your testimony. So stay in stoic, which is the hardest thing on earth to do. Being poised, having precision, and being concise um, with people while still catering to their emotions. That's hard because I'm not going to do it. It costs me too much mental anguish, but you do it. So thank you. Yeah, of course. I mean, it, it. I can't tell you how much it means to me to be able to help someone else heal their heart. But it's it's just what I love doing. Okay. Now, Renee, the way that we like to end the show, we like to give people time to give a shout out to everybody that has helped them along the way. Because the one crazy thing that I found that some people don't have people to help them. They have inanimate objects that stay with them. Like one guy had a crystal he carries everywhere and followed him through life. And that's what helped him, you know, certain guidance. He talked to it and and took his own thoughts and went back through it. So would you take a moment and please let the audience know who may, may not be responsible, but aids in who Renee Jones is? Well, I think um, a lifetime of faith has helped me a lot. And then, of course, parents. Um, and honestly, I got a job in Wales right after college the, in the UK. And uh-huh. the people there altered the course of my life in the best possible way because they loved me. They didn't know me. They didn't know my family, but they loved me. And it made such a difference. And then my husband, of course, is just such an encourager. My very first coach was, well, let's just put it this way. She's still on speed dial. If I need her, she's there. 
<laughs> and then a couple of business coaches along the way have been so helpful in helping me turn this thing of trying to help people into something where I can actually reach people. It's just been tremendous. Okay. So once again, I am JR from West Virginia Commonplace, and I have had Renee Jones here with me today on the show. And we have gone gone over numerous things, so many different topics about a book and about our coaching. Um, I will definitely make sure the show notes, because the show notes are the greatest thing that are that are part of a podcast after the show. We'll um, have all information they need um, to get in touch with you. And the greatest thing has happened today. You have helped an emotional eater. <laughs> Good. I'm so happy. <laughs> and on that note, um, we are signing off. So thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, you know the normal stuff that goes on with the podcast. All that stuff is in the outro. So I'm JR signing off. And Renee Jones has joined me on the show today. Pack your own bag. It's more than what you think when you think of that term. She's trying to help you get through all your baggage and everything else, along with your eating habits. Please follow WV Uncommonplace on Instagram, Tumblr, Twitter, TikTok, where we have some great content, Facebook, LinkedIn. Hit up the merch store at onecommonplace.square.site. Join the email list from the website, and rate, subscribe, and give feedback from your favorite podcatcher. And lastly thanks for listening and tune into the next episode.